Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. It is the off season, but we have some big news. Big news. There is a new addition to the SDS podcast family. Oh, are we doing this now? It is adorable. You sent me a picture and I am not that person. He's not holy, here yet, Connor. Holy crap. Your corgi is very, very cute. God, Allie is going to kill you and me for bringing this up. But... We're going to have to do it at some point. We're recording. Our future selves will know how adorable mm-hmm. that Corgi is. Yeah. Um, now, this begs the question. We brought this up last week. And I'm going to leave it out one more time because, you know, here's how I handle most things in my life. I'm going to let social media decide and dictate how I live my life. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Something I've, I've done consistently over the years. The, middle, the name of the, the, uh, the Corgi is Queso. Queso the Corgi. Branding is going to be on point. He's going to be insta-famous, all that. His middle name, is it going to be Corgeron or Corgavailoa? Both are mouthfuls. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Queso Corgavailoa just rolls off the tongue. I'm going to let you guys know it's probably going to be Corgavailoa regardless. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll leave it up to a fan vote, but I have a final say. You're definitely not calling that dog by its full name when it's in trouble. There's, You oh. can't do that. That is just way too much. And Allie wants to hyphenate the last name. That's a whole other thing. We'll talk about it later. But yes, yeah, thank you we'll for the addition. It. We're really excited. Yes. Uh, we do have actual football stuff to discuss today. Um, Alabama's offensive coordinator situation is weird. And for all those, for everybody who says we just talked Bama on this on this podcast, I think you will actually be interested in hearing what we have to say about this because this whole thing uh, with Dan Enos, with Josh Gaddis, with Steve Sarkeesian is just bizarre and it kind of hints at some... Some some chinks in the armor. We'll just Dynasty's say that. over. <laughs> Dynasty's over, as, as we will, of course, uh, definitely say uh, when we close that thought. Uh, we got some Kyler Murray uh, to the NFL discussion that I want to get to that also, in a weird way, gets to this Jalen Hurts stuff. Um, and then also the NFL draft deadline for underclassmen to declare was on Monday night. So we know all the guys from the SEC who are leaving, all the guys who are coming back. So we're going to talk about which teams were hit the hardest in the SEC. And also and th- both of those topics have sparked a rousing, I don't even want to say debate, I'll say argument between you and I that we'll get to in fourth and wrong. Okay, yeah, we have a big, big show coming up. Oh, and then we also have an interview with uh, our good new best friend uh, from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, um, our fourth place winner, Bowl Mania, fourth place winner, yeah, that's the thing, uh, Evan Luzak, is, uh, he was kind enough to, to join us on, on Monday night and uh, talk about his Bowl Mania success, talk a little bit of Bama fandom, compare it to, to some Michigan fandom, uh, which there's really no comparison, but... Um, yeah, we had a good time talking with him. And then there's also some early Heisman Trophy odds that we will get to as well. So let's start with this BAM offensive coordinator stuff. And as of right now, and of course, what's going to end up happening? I know what's going to happen. As of right now, it's looking like Steve Sarkeesian is going to be the next offensive coordinator of Alabama. Call him by his name. Sark. Baby Sark. Baby Sark. That's, a, that's an appropriate name in the SEC West. Yeah, I, feel like I agree with that. It's very topical. Um, Baby Sark is looking like he's going to come to Bama. Chris Lowe of ESPN reported that the deal is apparently, um, it's looking like it's nearing some sort of final terms, all that stuff. Nothing is official yet. It's probably going to be official by the time this podcast comes out. We don't know that. But as of right now, Bama does not have an offensive coordinator. It's weird that it's taking this long to finalize it because it's been reported several times. It has. It has. And it's... 
it makes you wonder if there's stipulations in the deal, if there's some sort of thing where, as we know, hiring Steve Sarkeesian is not just an, uh, an easy thing. Um, right. Saban has, has known this before. I mean, he's watched him leave after one game. And that, of course, sparked the discussion from many Alabama fans once this, this came out over the weekend that it, was, that it was looking like it was going to happen. And a whole bunch of Alabama fans, I don't want to say they reacted quite like uh, Greg Schiano, Tennessee, um, uh, no, not that, that's, that's not fair. that level, not that level, but it was pretty severe. So now I know this is going to shock you guys. And I know, even though we still have some Auburn fans that think I might be too biased on this podcast, whatever. Bama fans, shockingly enough, may have overreacted to this. And yeah. it was weird to see, cause it's like, okay, knee jerk reaction. I don't always have a knee jerk reaction. We've talked about this before. I'm the same guy that said that Tim McGraw Nelly song was the greatest song I'd ever heard in my life. Yeah, it was your worst take ever. Yeah, Yeah. I regret that to this day. However, this is marinated enough to where Bama fans should stop having such awful takes and reactions to this. It hasn't stopped them at all. It's been um, just painstakingly frustrating to watch. And and funny. Like, frustratingly funny to watch. Because it's like... Yep, I expect that out of out of my brethren, out of my fan base. Those are my people. But then you also like, surely at some point, um, you know, they'll realize that this is kind of misguided. No, no. So, so did so you watch Fine Bomb yesterday? Real yes, quick. Yes, I did. Well, because you were on it, my man. Sick brag. Yes, I was. Yeah. Yes, I was. I'm assuming you only asked that because you were leading into that. No, no, no. I thought you were going to get to some of the takes that were coming out because oh. I was. I was Darryl, watching. Daryl yeah. from Columbus had the worst oh, yeah. take I've ever heard in my entire life. And Daryl, if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not, because I don't feel like you get you listen to anything. I feel like you probably just yell, yell speak a lot, um, or spit yell, spit yell is what I would say. Daryl said on Feinbaum that he was talking about how he's not worried about Saban, how Sarkeesian, he, Saban's losing all of his coaches, and he's replacing them with drunks. And in the same breath, after judging the Sarkeesian hire, he then said. A good hire would be Jim Donnan. That's a real person in the world. All right. Yeah. Interesting. That's the only take that I, that's the most glaring take that I. So as of, as of right now, um, there's obviously there's, there's this resistance from, uh, from Alabama fans who remember Steve Sarkeesian getting hired after Lane Kiffin basically left early to take the FAU job. Not basically. I mean, he did. Yeah, he did midweek. Yeah, midweek, and so Sark ends up getting a loss in his only game as Alabama offensive coordinator. A game in which Deshaun Watson leads the game-winning drive at the end, and you could probably make the argument that Bama letting up 35 points had a little bit more to do uh, with the offense, with them losing that game than the offensive right. performance did. So take that for what it is. And if you're an Alabama fan who's watched Julio Jones struggle in the red zone uh, with the Atlanta Falcons, with Sark as the offensive coordinator the last couple of years, I get that discussion, whatever, that's fine. But I, I don't want to sit here and debate whether or not Sark is the right hire yet. We'll have plenty of time to do that. I just think that what this shows is this bizarre sense of desperation on Nick Saban's part. And I think that what what has become of this offensive coordinator position, because it's not as simple as Mike Loxley left to go take the Maryland job and this is what you're hiring. There are other pieces to this as we found out. We thought that this was going to be an in-house hire. We thought Dan Enos, Dan Enos, who was of course the quarterback's coach this past year, did great work building up Tua and Jalen Hurts. 
and develop, developing them as, as downfield guys and really you know, was commended for, for the job that he did. And then he leaves and he takes the Miami offensive coordinator position and you're kind of left scratching your head like, wait, what, what? That, that doesn't make a lot of sense because if Bama is going to want to hire a guy from within, chances are it's going to be able to do it. I mean, like Mike Loxley was promoted last year and was able to get the offensive coordinator position and you know the rest is kind of history. So I thought that this was interesting because Dan Enos leaves for Miami and then he goes on uh, Bo Mattingly's show, Sports Talk with Bo, and says that it had way more to do with just Bama having good players coming back. And it wasn't as simple as, oh, you get to work with Tua and these great receivers, these great running backs. And he kept citing over and over again, you know, my family decision went into this, my family, my family, my family. I get all that. But just listening to him, it just kind of sounded like, you know what? I don't really want to work for Nick Saban and be in a yeah. spot where I could get fired in two seconds and have my family wondering where daddy's next job is going to be. That's and I get that. And so he goes to Miami and he's going to be in a situation with Manny Diaz where they're going to give him a little bit of time, hopefully, to, to build that, that offense back up after it's kind of left in shambles. I, so I kind of get that. But the Josh Gaddis stuff, if you haven't seen this, this is this to me is the real the real head scratcher, and it's going to lead into what 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 my conclusion drawn from this this whole situation is. Josh Gaddis was set to join Mike Loxley's staff over at Maryland. He was going to be the offensive coordinator, and then, all right, yeah, that that's kind of a, a weird scenario in itself because why would you leave Bama where you could potentially be the offensive coordinator? And we don't know necessarily if that job was offered officially to him. But right. we thought that Saban was going to do whatever he could to try and keep him in-house. And as we find out later from Gaddis, that Saban was trying to keep him in-house. So Gaddis ends up going to Michigan, and all of a sudden he is the primary play caller. He's going to run the entire offense wow. for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, which is weird it's in a itself. Really good offense, so it's like. So then Josh Gaddis goes on the on Jim Harbaugh's podcast, which he's had for the last couple of years, Attack Each Day, and he had this quote. This is what Josh Gaddis said. He said, when Coach Harbaugh called, it kind of caught me off guard because I was literally, I had just left a meeting with Nick Saban, getting my butt chewed out for about 20 minutes, telling him that I was leaving and he's trying to get me to stay. It did not go over well. If there was any band-aid to the bruise or to what he left on me, it was that phone call. It was exciting to hear his voice and get a chance to talk to him personally. So my thought from hearing that and from kind of thinking about the comment that Danny Enos made was after that national championship where Bama just was horrible offensively after the first quarter. Yeah. Saban let his coaches point. Yeah. Didn't score a single point right. after having the most prolific offense in, in program history. In SEC history too, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Probably. Uh, it might have been. In my um, book. <laughs> Saban, I think, was after that title game was livid, and he was in such a different place with his relationship with those coaches. And these guys are getting blasted because, let's be honest, they struggle in the national championship, and that's what you would expect. But all of a sudden, while that's going on, these guys are getting pursued by other yeah. places, and all of a sudden, the idea of going somewhere else where you're you're getting you're getting more responsibilities, and it's really attractive for you. All of a sudden, that looked really good to both Gaddis and Enos. And they're like, why am I going to stay here and potentially, you know, I just put together this, this unbelievable season with this offense where we were best offense in school history, and I have one game, and all of a sudden it's like, I got to deal with this entire offseason. 
Why so not just go somewhere else where I want it? One so, game. Keep going. So that's that that to me, and I, I'm sorry, that's my long-winded way of no. saying I'll, I'll let you step in here. That's my long-winded way of saying I think Saban was in too tough of a place mentally for him to be like all of a sudden turn on the schmooze button and keep these guys in house. That's why this situation got to where it is. I don't know if he has a schmooze button. I don't know either. For one, but here's the thing, and I, you tell me, you help you help me navigate through this. I'm gonna hit you with some facts and all right. some, and I'm I'm not gonna build you up and break you down, Ben fans. I'm gonna break you down. The whole time, because this is how we know me on this. You, the listeners know me. You know me. You guys know me well enough. I can't be the logical and reasonable one. How did I become the most reasonable Bama fan on Twitter? How's that possible? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Osmosis. I don't know. I don't know how these things work. That's a real word. Regardless, the there's no part of me that thinks that this one season or this game or this moment is why all the the cracks in the foundation and the dynasties nearing it. I said before last year, with the parity that's, ha- that's happening in the SEC, it's going to be hard to replicate what he was able to do with the five titles in nine years. Totally get that. Still kind of agree with that. Whatever. However, the only thing that makes me worry about Saban, on a side note, where, where he might be starting to um, age a little bit or show some, some cracks in the foundation, is when he said, I love you to the media. That was weird. That was very uncharacteristic of him. I'm not kidding. That was, that was ridiculous. <laughs> as far as everything goes with this, Josh Gaddis. Josh Gaddis said on the Jim Harbaugh show, Jim Harbaugh's podcast, he said all of these things. Sure. I'm, I'm sure all of that happened. And Saban was begging you to come back, but you saw the grass was greener at Michigan and there's a better opportunity, blah, blah, blah. You're saying that to your new employer at your new job on his podcast. I hope you can sense the sarcasm because I'm laying it on pretty thick. I don't think that all that happened. Okay, here's the thing. And here's what you need to know about Josh Gaddis. He is not a pick-up-and-leave guy. While his while his last couple months suggest that he is because he was going to get the job at Maryland, and then all of a sudden he tells Maryland, no, I'm actually going to go to Michigan instead. Right. He was with James Franklin for six years on his staff. He was okay. in a, on his staff back at Vandy. He was on his staff at Penn the, State. I'm just saying the details of everything that happened – I, I, I'm sure that Saban was ripping him a new one, or maybe he was mad if he was saying he was leaving. I don't think it was one of these things where he, Saban was like, please don't, please don't go, dude. I really need you, bro. I need you to stay. Like, well, no, here's the thing. I think that the idea of, of Gaddis being his offensive coordinator was attractive, but I'm not sure that Saban was ready to make that decision yet of no. do I want to bring this guy in and promote him, and that is where the struggle inc- occurred because – Saban was, I think, maybe caught, and this is going to sound crazy. I, I realize what I'm saying here is, is Don't is say it, Connor. Don't say it. Saban was caught a little off guard by, oh, the, by the whole reaction. He did not anticipate what was going to happen with, he anticipated what was going to happen with Loxley because we knew it for the last yeah. month. But what was going to happen with Enos and Gaddis, I think his thinking in his perfect world was he keeps both of these guys on his staff, he keeps them happy, Just and maybe Enos is the coordinator. Yeah, and then, you know, you get Gaddis still doing big things with the offense and, you know, his work with receivers. Obviously, what they were able to do this year, you, you can't understate that. But And what he did at Penn State, obviously, as well. So, to okay. me, this is maybe a little bit more of a sign of, we get a reminder every once in a while, that working for Nick Saban every day is not an easy thing to do. I don't think that it's just he, not. I think everyone knows that. Here's the thing, though. Let me go back in. So, when you talk about, like, getting yelled at, and how the, like maybe there was a better opportunity where you don't have to do, deal with this person every day. 
I agree with you. Remember that scene from Hook where, you know, they're riding on the airplane? Stop referencing Hook. I've never seen it's Hook. It's such a great movie. So the son is on the airplane. He's throwing the baseball up in the air on the, on the plane. He's like, stop doing that. Then he goes to Neverland, and he sees, oh, I got all these cool stuff. I get to wear this awesome, awesome wig and be with Captain Hook. That's me and my dad now. And then he realizes, run home Jack. If you've seen Hook, you get it. I totally understand how the grass is greener kind of concept, and I wouldn't want to go to work and get yelled at every day. I have way too thin a skin for that. That being said, what was not going to happen this year from Nick Saban, he wasn't going to have his hand forced in making a decision on who his, who his coordinators were going to be. Last year, that kind of happened. He loses both coordinators again. Pruitt goes to Tennessee. He has to promote Loxley, in quotes, to co-head coach, like, like assistant head coach or whatever it is. Last year, he had Loxley ended up being a great hire, and, and moving him to, to offensive coordinator was fantastic. It's the best offense we've ever seen. Never seen an offense even like that under Saban. The defensive coordinator position that he kept Tosh LePoy on because he was a great recruiter, which is why he kept both of them on there, I think, and, yep. and fought so hard to keep them on there, that didn't work out so well. Tosh LePoy, that was one of the worst defenses consistently over the, the season that we've seen from Alabama in a long time. The stuff with, with Sarkeesian, the reason why, that, uh, like, I'll shift to that, why that's an overreaction, the Enos thing sucks. I feel like he should have promoted Enos right away if he wanted to keep him. He's an incredible quarterbacks coach, especially having to. Uh, and if I mean, I thought we all thought Jalen was going to leave. I, I wish Enos. I thought Enos was going to be the guy. That being said, Sarkeesian is not a bad hire, and all the Bama fans freaking out about it. Just think about it like this: there were there were seven drives in that in that national championship game against against Clemson. They lost 35-31. There were seven drives between the second and third quarter, it can, like uh, consecutive in a row, that lasted under two minutes, where they went zero for seven on third downs. And had like I think it was seven straight three and outs, or no, that's not seven straight three and outs, but seven straight drives that were under two minutes long. That's one of the ways they got beat. They they just kind of lulled themselves to sleep in the middle of that game and didn't perform well. You also had Bo Scarborough, who had fourteen carries for seventy seven yards and two touchdowns in the first half, break his leg and go out within the last like final two minutes of the third quarter. He this is a guy who has been a quarterback guru, the quarterback whisperer, a fantastic offensive mind and coach all the way through his, his entire career. They had the sixth best offense in the NFL. He has one game where they lose with one second to go against a Heisman Trophy finalist on his first week on the job, and Bama fans are freaking out about it. Get over yourselves. It's a good hire. Assuming that it is the hire. Let's, we'll yeah, we'll assume that it is the hire. It's probably going to be official. Chris Lowe will probably have another report by the time that we're done with this. Can't wait. Something that is you official. you hook, dude. No, I really don't. My life will go on just fine without it. I don't know it. why you even have that attitude, but anyway. Something that is official, as we found out on Monday, because Kyler Murray did the best draft declaration ever, even though it was first reported. I can't remember who first reported this, but Twitter. his draft declaration was the equivalent of Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy. I declare bankruptcy. Um, I always told myself if I ever have to declare bankruptcy in my life, God willing, I hope I don't have to, but that is the way I'm doing it. I'm yelling at the top of my lungs. Yeah, there you go. Um, so Kyler Murray, in case you missed it, you probably haven't because this has been the big story in sports this past week. Uh, basically told the told the A's who had drafted him in the first round this past June, I want $15 million if I'm going to play baseball. God, and awesome. he had to make a decision, of course, um, by Monday night and ends up deciding, you know what, uh, the, the A's the, – Maybe that'll be there eventually, but right now I, my love is football, and I'm picking football. I'm declaring for the NFL draft. So the $15 million was the number that was thrown out there. And just for a little context on this, I think this is probably how his team got to that number because Lamar Jackson last year, I believe, was the he was the last pick of the first round, 
and he ended up getting $9.5 million on the rookie wage scale, and then he ends up signing a $5 million signing bonus. Signing bonuses are, of course, negotiable, um, but last year, maybe this is a better example too, Josh Rosen went number 10 overall, and he got a fully guaranteed four-year deal of $17.5 million. He gets nearly $11 million in his signing bonus. So if we're talking about some of the money here and you start to add it up, everybody is saying, oh my gosh, like how could he turn down you know, $15 million when you're not making as much as rookie in the NFL? No. Joey Bosa a couple years ago held out and ended up getting the biggest the biggest signing bonus for a rookie in, in Chargers history, and he ended up getting $17 million. So that's just off the signing bonus, and that was you know on top of what he was already making uh, as a number three overall pick, number two overall pick, whatever it was. So... Everybody that's pointing to the money and saying that Kyler Murray just threw away a bunch of money. No, he, he really did. I cannot blame him one bit for doing this. And I, I know that you, you resisted this a little bit in terms of like him and the desire to play in the NFL as compared to playing in Major League Baseball. And I'm Different, curious if you're thinking has changed. This, this, yeah, I mean, go get your money, dude. These people in the front office, I don't care if it's the NFL or Major League Baseball, they don't give a blank about you. Like, go make your money. And the fact that he was he was such a, like, he was such an incredible athlete and talent on both sides. I mean, keep in mind, he had less than 250 at-bats while in Oklahoma and was drafted ninth overall. That's how big of a talented prospect he is. That's not, that's not even close to being a full season. That being said, if you're a, they were, Billy Bean and the front office people for the Oakland A's were going to the, executives of Major League Baseball to not beg, but pretty much beg, like, hey, can we please, even though we're not allowed to do this and sign sign these kids to a Major League contract, can we please use that as, like, a bargaining chip so we can get this kid to sign? And they're like, yeah, have at it, Hoss. Whatever you guys want to do. That's incredible that he was able to have that kind of upper hand. Now, I still would have gone and played baseball. I, I mean, because here's the thing. This has less to do with he's going to play quarterback in the NFL. Right, I think he could become the first ever athlete that was drafted in the first round of both the Major League Baseball draft and the NFL draft. Not even Bo Jackson, not even John Elway right. that happened to, which is crazy stupid that that however many teams passed on both those guys in the first round of one of the sports. Regardless, it's amazing to me that there's no way for me to say this without sounding condescending, so I'll just say it. Don't take offense to this. Don't say anything about him being 5'9". He's 5'10". Goodness He's gracious. not going to play quarterback. He's not going to play quarterback. Can we bet right now? Can yeah. We, like, he's going to be a first-round pick. He's going to yeah, be a first-round pick. Yeah. He's going to play quarterback. And Lamar Jackson's Let's... how tall? 6'3". How tall is Baker Mayfield? 6'1". Baker Mayfield's actually not. He's 6'1". He's in 215. He's 6'. He's he's... The height has nothing to do with it for me. Yeah. For Okay. Here's okay. the thing. You're saying that that he's that he's not going to make it as an as an NFL quarterback because he's yes. two inches shorter than Drew Brees, which is ridiculous. Why is that ridiculous? Tell me one five ten quarterback that actually ever that won a Super Bowl, had an MVP season, had a long career, and don't say Doug Flutie because Doug Flutie didn't start in the NFL until the Bills desperately needed a quarterback late nineties because he didn't many, start out in the NFL. He came out in eighty four when he won the Heisman. How many people in the history of life have ever been drafted in the first round of both Major League Baseball? That doesn't and the mean they're going to make it. I can tell you, Trent Richardson was drafted in the first round of football. How'd that work out? Okay, so now because one person didn't get drafted, no, I'm just say like he's five ten. Name a five ten starting quarterback that's ever had significant success in the NFL. So if Drew, if Drew Brees, no, was, just do, just let's focus on this. Tell me one five ten quarterback. There's there's not there's there none. Yeah, but I mean, and there, there never will be Connor. 
It's the game a is also way different. World. The game is also way different. It is no longer a pocket league for quarterbacks, that's and true. that is why he's going to be drafted in the first round. But I don't want to. I don't want to beat that dead horse because that's that's first take crap. I, I don't want. I don't care horses. about that. Obviously, he loves playing football more. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put out this right. fifteen million dollar ultimatum. That's what this comes down to. Think about this though. So you're talking about this, you know, playing baseball, why do you would want to do that over in the NFL? Compare Baker Mayfield to Mike Trout. Consider that. Mike Trout is a Hall of Fame outfielder, like no questions asked, who is playing in the peak of his career yeah. right now in a big market in LA. How many people know Mike yeah, Trout exactly. and how many people know Baker Mayfield who went seven and nine for the Browns? Think about that. Yeah. And you know, and the money wise, like I make a big deal out of guaranteed contracts. Long term, if you can become one of these guys that like can get a long term guaranteed contract. Kirk Cousins got eighty million dollars guaranteed. That's like, also true. That's there. also true. And and like football's more fun. Have you I mean I've played baseball. Good the sirens are back out. I played baseball. It's boring as blank, man. It's a long, long season. I, you I, can go to the minor leagues and ooh. and have to work your way up through through the farm system or you can go and be number two at the very least on an NFL depth chart tomorrow. I'm um, just saying Maybe, maybe I was misguided, my original argument. I don't think he's going to be a long t- – I mean, I like what you're saying. It's not a pocket league anymore. Um, I just think long-term it's going to be hard for him to – people are going to be able to scheme against him at some point. I don't think he's going to have the same kind of success in the NFL as he potentially would in Major League Baseball. Regardless, well, good for him, man. Go get your money. The, the whole yeah. – the takes about this being like some millennial just like wanting a bunch of stuff and, and – and, you know, trying to get his way. That's so weak. No, it's good crap. for him, man. Yeah, good for him. Use use your leverage. It's, it's nice to see a college athlete finally, Just, you know, able to use this to his advantage. Yeah, I agree. So this this actually leads into a point that I want to make about about Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts this past weekend went on went on visits to Maryland, I think you won that argument. Sorry, Miami, Oklahoma. Wait, what'd you say? I think you won that argument. Which was thank you, question. thank you. All right, here's. Here's the point that I wanted to get to with this, and it's not just, oh yeah, Kyler Murray, by the way, is a former SEC quarterback technically because shout out Texas A&M, uh, y'all had him at one point. Yeah. Um, but anyways, think about if you're if you're Jalen Hurts. We talked about this last week, and I brought up the the five schools that I would want to go to if I was in Jalen Hurts' position, which obviously I'm not. Think about the narratives that Lincoln Riley has changed, and Kyler Murray is a perfect example of this. Think about... Think about in June when we're talking about Kyler Murray getting drafted in the first round by the Oakland A's and he's doing all this. You know, go back and read the stories. Every story is he's going to be a great, you know, the next Oakland A great and he's going to play one year of college. Then he's going to go, you know, yeah. go join the A's and it's going to be great. And and in and, and three months of playing in that offense, he has decided, you know what? I have more fun and I have a better future playing in the NFL. And he's going to be a first-round guy. And think about the other narrative that he has changed, that Lincoln Riley changed so quickly. Because we talked about this with Jalen Hurts. It's not just a skill set thing. He needs a rebranding standpoint to be able to get NFL looks. I'm not saying he's going to be an NFL success in the same way that Baker Mayfield is or anything like that. But But think about about when Lincoln Riley took over that job at Oklahoma. And Baker Mayfield was four months removed from getting a public intox and getting the the video that everybody and their mother saw. And everybody knew who Baker Mayfield was. And you know what? Everything was kind of out there in the open about him. And by the end of that season and into draft season, 
Baker Mayfield became the number one overall pick and the Heisman Trophy winner. Think about how good this guy has been at his job. And if you're Jalen Hurts and you're thinking to yourself, where am I going to go to give myself the best opportunity at the next level? It's not just the two Heisman trophies that he won in his first system? two years in the job. It, and it's not just the system. The system's part of it, but it's it's the narrative that that guy has yeah. been able to change with two quarterbacks that we thought we had figured out, and it turns out we didn't. And Jalen Hurts is a guy that we think we have figured out, and maybe a few months from now we're saying, you know what, or a year from now we're saying, we thought we had Jalen, Jalen Hurts figured out at Alabama, and it turns out we didn't. What if he's left Ooh, that'd be but great here's, Also, yeah, here's another good point about that. Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley is 32 or 33 years old. I think he's like 35. Now. No, he's not. He's He look is no more than a... I'll look it up right now. Like Just like I looked at Baker Mayfield's height. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of Howard this scene Baker from type. Hook. Um, Stop. Stop it. Oh, he's 35 years old. Shoot. I told you. I've heard about everything today. All right, Goodness so here's Christ. the thing, though. Lincoln Riley... Um, yeah, I mean, good for him, man. He, he really has changed the narrative. I mean, he is... 35, I don't see how tall he is, so I won't bring that up. He is balding, which I don't like. I mean, it's kind of early to be doing that, so you got to wonder where his commitment is. Yeah, but you're a college football coach. You can wear a hat all the time. You're good. He wears a visor, though. He chooses not to. That's a problem for me. No, regardless, I mean, it is it, – he's, he's been incredibly impressive. I mean, like, you honestly can't – outside of winning the national championship, you can't have a better first two seasons. No, and, not, you know, we, I mean, it's unbelievable. I talked about this with like, somebody the other day, and this is kind of on topic. Um, in terms of like relevance and how we view as college football like, purists, maybe, or just like people that are entrenched in this year-round, and how you view why somebody is relevant, like Michigan. Michigan has won a half of a championship in the last 60 years. And that's kind of crazy to think about. They've also had a lot. They've had a couple of Heisman winners. They've had a lot of good, like, notable players. I mean, he hasn't won a championship in the past two years. He's won the Heisman Trophy. One of his players has won the Heisman Trophy in his first two in each of his first two years. That's crazy. Like that's I mean, that's never been done before. I mean, he's made to the playoffs both years. It's really impressive. So, Kyler Murray, we know, is going to the NFL. Yeah. Um, SEC teams found out who's coming, who's going, uh, coming back, I should say. Hopefully I make um, but a good I'm, point during this topic because I haven't done it yet. <laughs> I feel like I'm three for three so far. Yeah, well, two for one, whatever. We'll see. Um, so the the draft deadline is in the books. The deadline for underclassmen to declare uh, was Monday. And now I think there are probably five teams in the SEC that I think were hit really hard. And I want to count these down. And I want to see if you, you agree or disagree with these. Disagree. So I, at number, I'll start at number five. And you could make a case that this team should be a lot higher. And at number five, I have Ole Miss as this the is where SEC team. going to come from. As the SEC team that was hit the hardest, I have them at number five. So I have a number five because they could easily have three players. There are three players who, 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 are, who left early for the NFL draft. Greg Little, DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown. They could all be first-round picks. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's big production. You know, this is, and this is strictly just the early – Entrance strictly early entries, right. nothing so else. The reason why I would still I would have them at two instead Whoa. of five. I, and here's why, though, when you look at this team, especially from last year, and not saying this is how it's always going to be, but this is how it was last year and the year before. And I know they've tried to make some changes to this. Their only strength as a team has been on offense, and you but, lose a first round draft pick at left tackle, and you have the two potential first round draft picks at receiver, and on top of that, you're already losing Jordan Tamu. Tamu. That's um, a JT. lot. 
That's I mean that's a lot to lose. But if you're just looking at the I mean the the entry the early draft entries I mean you talk about all the talent that they have. Don't get me wrong, they were awesome players. Yeah. We loved watching DK Metcalf and AJ Brown the last couple of years. They only won five games this year with those guys. Yeah, what if they what do they do without them? Can't get a whole lot worse than five wins. I would agree, but they're also still got to play in the SEC West, where everyone else is still getting better. This is true, but they got Rich Rod now, so oh god, know, they're good. Um, Thanks, Rita. Number, number four. Uh, I could have put this team as high as number two, I think, but I ended up putting them back in number four, uh, and I'll explain that. Yeah. Texas A&M. So the early entries: Travion Williams, first team all, uh, first team all SEC running back; Jay Sternberger, who was an All American, consensus All American; uh, Eric McCoy, who was a staple on that offensive line, and then Tyrell Dodson, who was the third third leading tackler on the team and was just instrumental in what they were able to do the last couple of years and, of course, had the, the big pick six in, um, in the, the tax layer bowl. So those four guys I almost put at number two just because there were very, very, very few teams in the country that had a running and a passing, a pass-catching combination as good as Travion Williams and Jay Sternberger. It's like the old NBA Jam thing. Yeah. If you can put together the one-two punch, they're, they're up there. They're, they're among the best duos these, in the country. Takes. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. You don't um, have a counterpoint? You're, you're gonna no, I have to say that's a good point. I mean, that's, that's oh. all I had to say. No, it's, Travion Williams, he – we brought this up a couple weeks ago, and we, we basically talked about how – is this going to be something we look at down the road? Like, how did this guy not have a well, – how do we not make a bigger deal out of how great of a season was? He averaged over – like, I get how many yards he was able to gain. Um, led the SEC in rushing. He had over 1,700 yards. Had how many touchdowns? 2,000 scrimmage yards, yeah. Dude, that's crazy. But he also had 6.5 yards per carry over the whole season. That's outrageous. That's, I mean, what an incredible year. And then Sternberger, yeah, like, I think he had the second most receiving yards of a tight end in the entire country outside of the kid from UCLA. That's really impressive. He's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great, great season. I, I still say that, like, I think they'll be able to replace those guys. I don't, well, it's hard to get that kind of production out of a tight end consistently. I, that's... It is, um, but but you know with the kind of offense I think that that A and M is going to run under Jimbo, I think they'll be able to have maybe not a season as prolific as Trevion Williams, but they'll be able to uh, I guess replace that easier than what I would see at Ole Miss because those okay. those receivers at Ole Miss man, big boys, big boys. <coughs> and shout out NWO number three. I, oh, I, I should explain real quick why I didn't have him higher on this list. I didn't have him higher on this list because while that one-two punch is great and McCoy and Dodson are, are studs, yeah. the, the, the three teams that I have ahead of them have as many guys um, that who left early, and I could make a case that even you know the best of the best of those guys, while they might not be as good as Williams and Sternberger, I think there is still more production to replace there. So that yeah. leads into what I wanted to say with the number three team. And not the rest of the top three teams. It's just two and three, but go ahead. <laughs> Number three, I got Georgia. Georgia loses Nicole Hardman, Riley Ridley, Isaac Nada, Elijah Holyfield. So that's your three top receivers, three top in terms of receiving yards this past year, and then a 1,000-yard rusher in Elijah Holyfield. I know he's still got DeAndre Swift. He's still got Zamir White, James Cook, all those guys coming back. But if you just look at it from a production standpoint of losing those guys, losing a guy like Nicole Hardman, who we've said repeatedly – Video game speed just has a different kind of gear when you watch him compared to even yeah. some of the best in the SEC. 
Riley Ridley, a guy who just seemed to kind of show up in big games throughout his career, was really good in the national championship uh, yeah. last year against Can't Alabama. Piece. Just saying. Isaac Nada, a guy who came in really highly touted, five-star guy who might not have been featured in the passing game uh, the way that he hoped, but would still have those moments where, like, you know, the Florida game, where all of a sudden he's just unguardable. And he would, I think he actually racked up better numbers than kind of what we were thinking. And it ended up being pretty a pretty good season from a receiving standpoint. And then what he did as a blocker was also pretty impressive. And then Elijah Holyfield. We, if you put Elijah Holyfield on a in team, a boxing ring, <laughs> did you know? Did you know? No. <laughs> I can't. Okay, I got you. Um, so here's the thing. I, I agree with you, but this, and again, this is why this is, I would rank them higher than A&M. I think you're correct on this. You're killing it again today. It's good to have you back, man. Thank you. For a Thank while, you. you were making some really bad takes. So I, I'll I just, I'll, I'll revert back to those and reference those so I can hopefully win something. Regardless, <laughs> when you talk about replacing Nicole Hardman, it's not in the passing game. Holloman has been great. He's, he's obviously back, right? I'm not messing that up. Holloman's back, yeah. Okay. Um, that would have been really bad. But when you replace it, like, I think Riley Ridley isn't going to be as hard to replace. That's not even going to be close, to be honest, as Miko Harvin. You replace him in the return game and how much of a game changer he was. He was averaging, what, like over 21 yards per return? Right. That's, I mean, that's crazy. And Elijah Holyfield, he had a, an incredible year. I think him leaving early is much more of a circumstance of, like, hey, capitalize. Like, how much better are you going to get getting to the NFL? You're already you're already in your third year. Like, how much how many more stats are you gonna get that are gonna outweigh the hits you would take along the way to get to the NFL? Because they always talk about the same thing. If there's any position where you have kind of a life expectancy um, on you, again, like the, under that kind of label, it's definitely at running back, especially in the NFL. You're gonna you're gonna have to compete next year with Zamir White. I think it was a great move for him to go pro. Yep. Isaac Nada, I thought he was underutilized, and the Riley Ridley thing. I I think he was. I mean, those are all really good talents. Riley Ridley of the four, I think, is probably the fourth most difficult to replace. I mean, he's, I mean, he's he's the easiest to replace. Is what I'm saying. Also, here's a fun fact I just read. You know, Riley Ridley is four months older than Juju Smith-Schuster. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes you think. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, I mean, it has nothing to do with this this thing. It's just I thought it was a crazy stat. That is crazy stat. Yeah. Uh, good news for Georgia, though. Our guy, Hot Rod, somehow still has another year of eligibility. <coughs> Rodrigo, Rodrigo is coming back Hunter for another year. Hunter Renfro the SEC. He really is. It's amazing. Uh, number two, I've got the Gators. Florida Ja'Kai. has five early entries for the NFL draft. Ja'Kai Polite, Voshan Joseph, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Jordan Scarlett, Jawan Taylor. That's some Big, big, big time production. Juwan Taylor might end up only being the only first Dude. round. Well, Jakai Ja'Kai 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 be. be in the first round. But when you say Juwan Taylor, remember when we did the top twenty? This is this is where I had my meltdown when you were like, "All right, the top twenty players in the SEC," and I took it as like, "Okay, I've got to include everything into my into my rankings." All and the draft was, stuff. And I was looking at all the draft stuff, and I was like, "Juwan Taylor, what in the hell is this?" Like, mm-hmm. Juwan Taylor, most most I think the casual fan in the SEC outside of Gainesville, especially doesn't understand how big of an impact he had. I mean, that's a, that's an offensive line that returned, I think, going into this year. Four of the five, or was it all five? I think it might have been all five stars on the offensive line. And for him to yeah, have that kind of year and back, anchored, yeah. yeah. Like to him, and and to, for him to outplay somebody like Martez Ivy, who was a top-ten player nationally coming out of high school and a five-star, and mm-hmm. to move himself into a potential first-round pick, that's a lot to replace. 
Yeah, that that to me, I, I don't think Dan Mullen was expecting that many that amount uh, to to have to lose five guys early to the NFL draft. I think we kind of take that for granted, but um, that's just kind of the byproduct of having a really good season. And when you win ten games, you win a New Year's Six Bowl, and these guys, you know, Chauncey Gardner Johnson was awesome. Yeah, awesome against Michigan. Loudest stadium and, ever because of you. <laughs> it wasn't. He didn't have the interception. It oh was, yeah, it was Brad right. Stewart. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, Johnson Gardner Johnson had a, had a big year. Not afraid to let you know about it either. Yeah. Um, and and you know what those what Jakai Polite and Voshan Joseph did playing in Todd Grantham's defense. Obviously, you knew that they were going to be attractive candidates at the next level. So Florida, I mean, defensively speaking, that's that's some big time production to replace. You know, they still have a ton of talent um, at running back. My guy, yeah. Lamical, Lamical Piran, Michael Piran, Michael. Yeah, he's back though, so that's good. Um, but Florida having to replace a lot of talent. So number two, I think is fair, but I did debate. I, I did kind of shuffle around of what I want to do with Florida, A&M, and Georgia. I settled on Florida at number two. That's fair. I mean, and I think that's a good point too, because of the fact that this is a team that already had 20 returning starters from the year before. Correct. And right. this is, it's going to be hard to be able to keep that, uh, keep that same energy as people say, and the young rapscallion say going into the next season. So there's that. People, people say that? Apparently. All right. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Number one, come on, you already know it's Such Alabama. Such a homer, dude. Sorry, I'm Bama Hammer. Um, Bama sets a new record for early entries with seven. Yeah, pretty amazing. G uh, seven. We, we we talked about him a lot throughout the throughout the year, but Quentin Williams, who was the best defensive player in college football. Jonah Williams, who was the best offensive lineman in college football, and then Irv Smith, one of the best tight ends in America, Savion Smith, Deontay Thompson, Mac Wilson, and Josh Jacobs, who I got to think is going to be flying up draft boards. Um, Told you the Josh Jacobs things that he was going to, like, that that was was so obvious to see, like, late in the year. It was like, man, that, that kid is like, he's making himself some money, late, like, from November on. The amazing thing about this, too, is that you would look at that list and think, all right, you know, typical Bama, whatever, all no. these early entries. If you actually kind of dig a little deeper and look at three of the seven guys were actually not top 100 recruits. Quentin Williams was a guy who was outside of the top 100. Yeah. And, you know, was a redshirt sophomore. And obviously we talked about this, the his, his rise and how quickly it was in this year and replacing pain. And then, you know, Having guys like Jacobs and Irv Smith, who came in as three-star recruits, and that is so rare at Bama in itself, and for them to have the seasons that they did, I think it's it's a testament to, to their development and what those guys have been able to do from just from a work ethic standpoint. To rise up the depth chart is hard enough to do at Bama, and then to succeed in the way that they have, to me, that that's really what what's more of the crowning achievement for this class of early entries. Yeah, I mean... It's it's tough to see. Also, here's why I didn't like it, outside of being a Bama fan. And the reason why they're number one, just so nobody gets it confused. And again, Connor made this list, not me. So Connor made this list. Um, the reason why this is number one is because, yeah, we've, we've gotten to this, I don't want to say lazy mindset of just kind of assuming, not you and I, talk about the rest of the country, getting America. into this, like, yeah, America, getting into the same mindset of like, oh, this is what Bama does. It happens every year. Who cares? Same thing with like the coordinators, like oh they lose them and they replace them. Blah 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 blah. Seven underclassmen has is unprecedented from Bama. Five really was is. the previous high, and it happened yeah. only twice in the however many in the twelve years that Saban's been there. Now Bama has had a number one overall draft pick for ten straight years, which is crazy. That being said, 
you know, I, I figured Quinnen was gone. I was hoping that the rest of the country would kind of, like the last lingering taste in their mouth would be that terrible, terrible video of him on the sidelines in the championship game with that snot bubble coming out of his nose. <laughs> and I thought that might like, hurt his draft stock. It didn't hurt enough, which sucked. Um, so I knew Jonah Williams would be gone, and he deserves to be. He was fantastic, just like Quinn. I mean, all these guys. But when they announce, they usually announce it like in one fail swoop. Like Josh Jacobs, Quinn, Jonah, and I think Irv Smith, they all announced last Friday. I thought I thought that was over because then I was like, all right, cool. We still get nope. Savion Smith back, who had to be carted off the field. So I didn't realize that that was like a thing. Um, and keep in mind, I've also, like I said, been sick, so I wasn't like constant up to date on this. Deontay Thompson, I was wondering why he wouldn't have announced because I was like, he's a definite top 20 pick, first-round guy. Like, why would he not go? Uh, Mac Wilson really surprised me because Mac Wilson, I thought, I don't care how this sounds, he's a great linebacker. He's done a great job at Alabama. I thought that he flat-out played himself out of being a first-round pick in the national championship game. And he's also going to be going, so... There will be some bad film on him, and he's someone who, um, well, in this day and age, the ability to cover from sideline to sideline as a linebacker, doing the Devin White things, I think is is what teams are coveting in this era of spread yeah. out offenses, and he's going to have some knocks on him. So you're, you're definitely right from that standpoint. And physically, those are two different linebackers. Very, very different. I mean, very, very it's, different. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's good for them. I'm happy for you. Whatever. <laughs> Let's move into SEC, something else, though. SEC was hit hard. But you know what? If you're a fan trying to recover from your loss – your loss of early draft entries, maybe you need some good old-fashioned Texas Pete. That's what you used to drown your sorrows in, right? I do. So it's the start of the new year. We've talked about this before. Um, time for changes. I'll tell you one thing that's not going to change for me, and that is my overusage of Texas Pete. Last night, Connor, I embarked on one of the, um, I don't want to say more humbling, I'd say more humiliating nights as a man that I've had. Um, it's the off-season. As you know, same with your wife, same with my fiance. They had to watch a lot of football. Last night, I had to help make a HelloFresh dinner, uh, which was Lauren Conrad's chicken tacos, Connor. Before we Ooh, watched I love the Yeah, who doesn't? Um, yeah. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. But I tell you what made it better: Texas Pete doused it, doused it in that. That's the only thing that made me feel better about two hours of watching The Bachelor, um, followed by some kind of bland tacos that were only saved by our good friends, TP, um, Texas Pete. Now, we talked about how we can't tailgate in the offseason. Tell you what we can do if you're trying to lose weight, kale gate. Yeah, Ooh. that's right, kale. You know, the, the super, super food, as they call it. Um, not always great. Tell you what it's great with, some Texas Pete. So, make sure you check out our friends, Texas Pete, at your local grocery store, at your local bodega. I don't know where you live. I honestly don't know what a bodega is. Regardless, go get some Texas Pete. Wherever it's closestly sold, that's not a word, but you know what I mean. Um, check out texaspeak.com slash tailgating for some great recipes and videos, including yours truly. There you go, Texas Pete. You know how I said my favorite SEC game, uh, my favorite SEC in-game uh, drinking game was every time Elijah Holyfield's yeah. dad is referenced? Um, it, for The Bachelor, it's every time they reference Colton being a virgin. Just Dude, he, like, let's talk about it for two seconds before we intro our good friend Evan. I had to watch The Bachelor last night. That kid sucks. Oh, he's the worst. He's Coleman the worst, awful. man. He yeah. looks like if Blake Griffin never hit puberty, which I said last night. He's just tough to watch. And I tell you what, I put this, I put this 
this uh, to a fan vote last night. Miss Alabama from Tuscaloosa is on yes. there. So it's like a seamless transition. She actually said a roll tide during the show. So I was like, all right, cool. I can get behind this. God, watching them interact was probably more oh, painful that. to watch than the Bama Clemson game. That was awful. He does it not have an electric bad. personality. And they did stand up last night. Yikes. It wasn't quite stand up, it was a little bit different. They stood um, up. I, huh? I heard from a friend. I heard from a friend, uh, at least. Um, I'm definitely not in two different bachelor pools. Yeah, um, well, that's all I'll say about it. Speaking of Bama fans, we interviewed our fourth place finisher, Evan Luzak. He is a Bama fan. Yes, he is. But we got into some interesting stuff with him. Um, had a surprising answer to the most famous family food question that we that we have. Yeah. Um, and it was fun. It was fun getting to getting to talk with him. We appreciate Evan coming on. So here is that interview with Evan Luzak. We're excited to be joined by Evan Luzak. Evan finished fourth in our Bowl Mania pool, and he also reached out to us. So uh, cool points for Evan, definitely. Uh, and Evan re- finished fourth in our Bowl Mania pool, despite the fact that he picked the SEC team to win every single game but one, and it was the Kentucky-Penn State game. So, Evan, let's let's start right there. Why do you hate Kentucky? Well, I don't hate Kentucky, but uh, going in, I just thought the uh, Penn State uh, program had a little more to be playing for, and um, I guess I was just wrong with that one, but... Uh, Kentucky showed up, and uh, good for them. It was exciting to see them go out uh, the end of the year on a winning note, and they had a really great season there. So, Yeah, Evan, don't take that from Connor. He said they were going to win by double digits, <laughs> so you're fine. <laughs> um, Evan, I got a serious question, though. Um, more importantly, probably for you, how pumped were you to finish 135 spots ahead of Marler? Well, I was I was pleasantly surprised. Like uh, when I first started making the picks, I was like, okay, this is a lot of games. But uh, no, I, I I was very uh, pleased to be up there uh, towards the top for uh, the whole time. Very humble, just like any Alabama fan like that. Um, <laughs> Evan, how long have you been listening to the podcast, man? Oh, probably about uh, six, seven months um, now. I recently changed jobs uh, last spring and now I have the opportunity to um, put some headphones on at work and uh, able to download podcasts and listen at work and in the car sometimes. So I've been enjoying it for quite a while. I went through the off season and really enjoyed it during the season this fall. So we appreciate that. We appreciate you listening. We know that uh, people kind of one of the cool things about getting to do this is that we've had people who've reached out to us and say they listen from all over the place. It's not just people who listen from, you know, the SEC region of the country. And we know that you live in Michigan, but you are a Bama fan. So tell us kind of how that came to be and how you deal with, with that living up there in Big Ten country. Sure. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, so I'm not sure if you're familiar about where that is. I know, Connor, you're a Midwestern guy, but, uh, so Amen. about eight hours north of Detroit. So, um, way, way away from the big 10 schools. But, uh, I went, I went to Northern Michigan university and they're a big hockey school. And so we always played Michigan and Michigan state, Notre Dame and hockey. So growing up and going to school there, um, I never liked to root for them in football. And so, um, I had family that lived in Alabama when I was growing up. So, They'd always send me um, Alabama, Bear Bryant stuff, and Atlanta Braves stuff and all that. So I began rooting for them at a young age. So, And now the last 10 years have been uh, reaping the benefits of that for sure. 
Gosh, it sounds say. like we're like the same person, Evan, besides I mean, you know, you living in Canada. <laughs> just like trying to stay as far away from Detroit as possible, but also still being a Bama fan. So it's a good move. Um, so as a Bama fan, I got to know, because I, you know, I try to, try to stay off my high horse as much as I can. But what is your favorite uh, Alabama game of all time, or the best Alabama game you've been to? Well, I've, I've never been to a game. Um, I've uh, never been to Tuscaloosa. That's definitely something to hope to change sometime in the near future. But um, uh, favorite Bama game I've watched, um, I must say the, um, the first uh, Clemson-Alabama one um, when okay. Saban pulled that uh, onside kick. Uh, oh, yeah, the fake kick probably, that actually worked? Yeah, that was pretty special. So that that and the Notre Dame beatdown. Um, oh, yeah, that was fun. That was pretty special, too, because uh, I had a lot of friends on the other side of that one. So Nice. Uh, Marler had, like, probably – Marler, how many wine coolers did you have watching the, the Bama-Notre Dame game? I woke up upside down on a couch the next day. It was four and a half hours late for, for work. So All right, so, like, I'd say three or one four for every point. Coolers? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Evan, I, I got to know your reaction to watching this title game. Very unfamiliar for, for Bama fans. You know, you talk about experience in the last 10 years and just this, this unprecedented loss. Give me your, your reaction as a fan watching this game going in. Give me your reaction of when you realized that this game was, it was just not going to be Bama's night and what it's been like in the week long hangover since then. Sure. Yeah. Going in, um, I was probably a little overconfident thinking, you know, just based on the way that they've been talking about the game, but um, still knowing that Clemson was a great team and everything. Um, But, you know, definitely early on in the game, seeing Tua's composure and then um, just the way the coaching staff didn't really change anything throughout the game, it, it got depressing real fast. So, um, it, yeah, it was a pretty quiet night uh, in our house. Uh, it was tough to sit through, but, you know, made it through. And, um, yeah, it was, it was tough, but I can see how uh, Saban can build on it and turn around for next year. So. You didn't break any TVs, yeah. though, right? <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry. You didn't break any TVs. No couches were burned. No, none of that, no, didn't, right? didn't, th- didn't throw anything. Didn't uh, no. Um, my wife and kids were already in bed for most of the game because it you know starts so late. But uh, no, I just sat there silently for three hours. I wish I was in bed Brave. that night pretty early. That was, I think, like, like being there, like the worst part. I remember looking at my watch and I was like, oh my god, it's the third quarter, and it was like seven fifteen. Pacific time, and I was like, I'm gonna still have to go sit in traffic, and then all oh, that was awful. But um, okay, so I, I don't know exactly where on my hand you would be in Michigan. I know everyone always compares the state to that. At least that's what I've seen in commercials. Um, but compare Bama fans to to Michigan fans. Oh well, first off, we um, definitely both like to brag, but Alabama fans have something to brag about. So, Ooh, um, like it, like I, it. I liked it when uh, I think Paul Feinbaum was on uh, Mike and Mike a few years ago. He uh, told a Michigan fan to he threw him a quarter and told him to call him uh, when Michigan wins something other than half a national championship in the last six years. So <laughs> um, that's good. But 
Yeah, I, I would say they're both pretty braggadocious, but yeah, uh, Alabama can back it up. So That is a big word for this podcast, braggadocious. That was good. Um, I like that word. Yeah, that was really good. You just used that seamlessly, Evan. You have raised the IQ of our podcast already, so congratulations uh, for that. Oh, well, I'm, I'm honored. One, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> One more Bama-Michigan question, because I think – Four years ago, you know, when Harbaugh's chirping, and I think he even chirped at Saban, you know, for not wanting to work year-round or the recruiting cycle, and Saban had a problem with that, or Saban had some sort of thing about IMG. I remember there was a little bit of back and forth, but Harbaugh and Saban are obviously in very different universes when it comes to the coaching spectrum, the way that they're thought of. But who do you think stays longer at their current school? I want a, a, a fan's prediction on this. Who stays longer at their current school, Harbaugh or Saban? That's a very good question. I, I think it's Saban. Um, I I see Saban probably staying another five years or so. Um, I think he wants to get through um, probably another couple championships. Hopefully, would be nice. Um, and but I, I think he's good for another five years or so. Um, Harbaugh, I think the seat's starting to get pretty warm for him and. He, I, I think he's going to have to look at NFL coaching opportunities because they're going to throw money at him, you know, every year. So I think he's going to jump ship soon. And honestly, a lot of the Michigan fans I talk to, they'd be fine with him leaving because they're disappointed in him. So, wow, wow, dang, I like that. So you live in Michigan, um, as we discussed. Do you have an "it might mean too much" moment? Um, define what, define that for me again. What, what's the worst thing you've ever done as a fan? The worst thing I've ever done as a fan. Well, um, it's a safe place. You can say whatever. Well, I, I always tell people that my Bama fandom, um, balances out the rest of my Detroit sports fandom because they're always terrible. Um, when I was in college, my roommate and I drove through the night to go to a Lions Packers game at Lambeau field. Oh, um, And we drove through a snowstorm down from the UP to Green Bay to um, the night before the game. Um, I think we left at midnight because I DJed a dance the night before and all this. But we got there, slept a few hours. Then we went and tailgated for the game. It was mid-December, night game, snowing in Lambeau. I was dressed head to toe in Hawaiian blue, Joey Harrington jersey, all that. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yes. Wow. The Lions. The Lions were up thirteen to nothing at halftime, and they lost sixteen to thirteen. And so then we had to <laughs> drive back to school that night because we had finals the next day, and we drove oh through a snowstorm, gosh. almost hit a deer, and we got back up to school maybe five six in the morning, and then school was canceled because of the snow. So, but, but there were no but fake field goals, right? Joey Harrington didn't no, fake any field nope, goals. All right, no, good. Joey seemed... Harrington didn't fake any field goals. No, that's good. All right, that's awesome, man. <laughs> that's really good. That's really good. Evan, do you, we we're gonna we're gonna close you out with Family Feud. Do you have any questions for us before we get to that? Um, oh, when I finally do to get to Tuscaloosa, what's the best place to go eat? I gotta know that. It's either Whataburger or Chili's. I mean, it's, it's no. Um, a lot of people will say, like, if you want to go somewhere nice, go to Chuck's. Chuck's is really good. Um, and when I say nice, I mean, it's like buttoned down into jeans. I, I, but, have, I, mean, I have two kids, so it can't be too nice. 
Oh, so you should you True. should go to Archibald's or you should go to Dreamland for for uh, barbecue. Archibald's is probably the better of the two. And also, I mean, if you can go to Ramajamas, Ramajamas sometimes just puts on the SDS podcast on the loudspeakers. It's right next to the stadium. That's mm-hmm. that's probably the staple. So that, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll oh. check that out. Okay, so seamless transition, Joey. Are you, I mean, it's called you Joey. This whole this Joey Harrington, Joey Harrington. Really threw me for a loop, man. That, I, that's such a <laughs> that's such a throwback, man. I haven't heard that in forever. That being said, are you ready for Family Feud? I, I'm sure you've heard it before. Yes, I have heard it before. Okay, so Evan, this is going to be the first time we've ever done it with a, like an audience member or listeners. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have nine questions for you. Um, are you ready? I am ready. All right, here we go. 20 seconds on the clock. We'll go way over it. Evan, Luzak, here we go. First question. If you were a character in The Office, who would you be? Ooh, um, I would probably say I would be um, Oscar. Oh, wow. Ooh, okay. Nobody, that's a, nobody that's ever a goes answer. Oscar. That's a, Good I with like numbers that. like Good that. Um, hottest Disney princess? Um, I'll go with uh, Merida from Brave. Okay. I like nice. Okay, this is good. Um, I don't even know if you guys have these chains up there uh, in Canada, but Whataburger or In and Out? Uh, Whataburger. Um, I lived nice. just outside of Dallas for about a year, and I miss Whataburger down from down there. That's a solid answer. Um, okay, worst commercial or television ad of all time? Oh man. Um, I'll go with. Um... There is an answer to this, by the way. Yeah, I got this. Is I mean, remember this is Michigan themed. Um. Hmm. Worst commercial. I'm gonna give you a hint. Okay, go give me a hint. Pure. Oh. Pure Michigan. Pure Michigan, man. Those always crack me up. Those are the best. Do yourself a favor and watch and pull up the uh, Walmart Wolverine version of Pure Michigan, where they did it. Oh, I think I've seen this, but it's that is pure. One of my best friends. It's so good, right? Yeah, that's pure. Okay, next next question. Uh, What's your favorite Bob Seger song? Ooh, got to work on some night moves. Night moves. I like that. I said Hollywood Nights, but Night Moves is good. We had we had one of the same words. That still counts for points. Uh, if there's one guest um, that we should get on the podcast, who should it be? Um, hmm. I, I think you got to go big and get uh, Joe Namath. Oh, that's good. Nice. That's this is really a good, good round of Family Feud. I like this. Uh, okay, we have three more questions. Favorite sport? You might have already alluded to it, but favorite sports team besides Bama? Um, that'd be the Detroit Tigers. Okay, that was, my follow-up to that was going to be favorite stadium besides Bryant-Denny, but old Tiger Stadium. I got to go there one time. It was awesome. I, I never got the chance. I lived too far away, but... Fair enough. Okay, two, le- two left. What is your favorite or what is the best off-season hobby when it's not football season? When it's not football season, um, I like to watch hockey and baseball, but that's pretty much... Yeah, and then you know, keeping track of the kids, but hockey and baseball fill the void. I like that. That's a good way to put that too. I'm trying to get into hockey. The gambling part of it's really tough. We'll get to that another time. Last question, last but not least, 
This is a tough one. Who's your favorite host of the SDS podcast? Fingers crossed. Well, I got to go with you, Mahler. Oh, what an O. And that, that right there is worth, let me, let me tally this up, way more points than Joey Harrington ever scored, Evan. That is at least 269 points. Easy. That's good. That is easy money right there. That way more points than Joey ever scored. <laughs> there you go. You're the man. That was, that was good, man. Those are some really good answers. That was, that Thank, was you. Fantastic. Thank you. It was fun. Evan, we appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you uh, participating in our Bull Mania pool. Definitely do that next year. Uh, maybe you'll beat Marler by like 136 places next year or something, and you'll win the whole thing. Um, but, yeah, thank you for coming on. Definitely get down to Tuscaloosa sometimes. Thank you for listening. And, uh, yeah, don't be a stranger. Well, thanks, guys. Again, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate Evan coming on. Uh, we're going to do some uh, – we're going to have some more – uh, guest interviews throughout the offseason. Uh, I think that's definitely something that we we want to go back to. Um, if you have a great It Might Mean Too Much story, maybe hit us up. Maybe we'll do yeah. an interview with you. Uh, we would love to, to do stuff like that. So we are moving on to 2019. We're pretending like 2019 season is already here. The Heisman Trophy odds, the early Heisman Trophy odds, are indeed here. These are from Bet Online. These came out Tuesday afternoon, right before we started recording this. And nice. believe it or not, Trevor Lawrence... He's the favorite. So, going to run yeah, through the odds. I was odds. shocked to see this. I want to say real quick off the top, after seeing what he said about the liberal media. He, that was a, that was. I know, that was incredible. Yeah. Not a real quote. No. Anyways, these are the notables, people of SEC interest. I don't want to do every single person who has odds, but the SEC notables are the following. Trevor Lawrence is at plus 350. Tua is at plus 450. Jake Fromm, plus 1,200. Jalen Hurts, also plus 1,200 as is Justin Fields, as is Travis Etienne, as is DeAndre Swift. Jerry Judy and Kelly Bryant are both at plus 2,500. So my question to you, Uncle Chris, who among those has the most attractive odds? Ooh, I'm going to say something. I might agree with you. I doubt it. I mean, it's Trevor Lawrence. you got to ask yourself, does Clemson ever lose another game now that they've ended the dynasty? No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to get caught up in the moment for that. Tua has has some interesting odds here. I think those are pretty good. I'm going to say this. If he's able to play this year, Justin Fields. I was thinking the same thing. Damn I was it. thinking the same thing. Okay. Yeah. Tell me so why. That's, so what Dwayne Haskins did in that offense this year yep. with Ryan Day. Is that his name? That's Ryan Day. Yeah. Whatever. Um, no, Ryan Day. What he was able to do with that offense went largely unnoticed because – as I mean, I had I I was part of the problem. After they lost to Purdue, I was like, Pfft. "See you later, Ohio State." More like Ohio. Late, boom, roasted. Um, they not my best. Regardless, what Haskins put up this year would have been one of the most incredible seasons, and probably was still one of the most incredible seasons in college football history. And I think if he is the front runner to start this year, the kind of talent he's supposed to have, Justin Fields, I I think that he will be able. And plus. One benefit of Ohio State's schedule is having that Michigan game late in the season and having the Penn State game in October. You're talking about two possible Heisman moments and also late in the season having that with, against like a, a big rivalry. Guess how many, like, guess how many Power 5 teams Ohio State faces in non-conference play? 11. Zero Power 5 teams in non-conference play. Oh, my yeah. how the tables yeah. turn tables. By the way, shameless plug, get over to Saturday Tradition if you want to read me oh, bashing God. 
the new Big Ten scheduling, which is somehow decided that non-conference play, not that important. We all of a sudden don't think that Power 5 teams are that important to add to our schedule, but that's a different discussion. And if you want to see me do hot takes on cashew dip that's (laughs) flavored like queso, go to my Instagram stories. Go ahead. I agree with you that Justin Fields has the most intriguing odds, and I'm not saying, because I know we do this thing with transfer quarterbacks where all of a sudden we, we hype him up, we hype him up, but here's, here's the thing on Fields, and I'm glad you brought up Ryan Day and the offense, uh, what they were able Georgia to do with Haskins. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, that Fields was necessarily going to be the guy at Georgia and that him leaving makes, makes sense in many ways. Um, and if he is able to play this year, that's what, what it's looking like because if he wasn't able to play and if there was a strong sentiment that he was going to have to sit out, Tate Martell yeah. wouldn't be visiting every school in the country right now, but he is. So... Justin Fields starting and playing immediately at Ohio State and having a chance to win college football's most coveted award, this is a narrative-driven award. We've talked about this so much. As much as I think Trevor Lawrence and Tua deserve to be the overwhelming favorites to win this thing next year, it is a narrative-driven award. The amount of times that you see a Baker Mayfield-like winner of of the Heisman Trophy it's, it's few and far between. It really is. You kind of have to be this revelation, this out-of-nowhere, yeah. first-year t- starter type thing where all of a sudden you're taking the sport by storm. That is what this is developed into, and I like Fields' chances of putting up massive numbers, playing in some big-time games, having, some f- having a favorable schedule, and being able to follow that narrative to the Heisman path. At 12-1, to 1, that's attractive yeah. to me. Well, and if people forget, that's about what Tua was going into the season. He mm-hmm. was 10 to 1. So let me give you three more, and we won't we won't touch too much on this, but I do want to give three more um, just, you know, wild cards here that nobody is really talking about as much. Kelly Bryant, I know, has odds that are listed. 25 to 1. That's not bad. And what you took a look at what Drew Locke was able to do. People forgot about how, like, the season Drew Locke had the year before this, I know they only went 7 and 5. If they are able to go 10-2 and two and compete for an SEC East Championship, if, that's a big if, but big if, if that happens, that's a, that's a kid with, with a, for lack of better words, fun enough skill set where he can make a difference in terms of, like, they can jump on that train early. And they have a tougher schedule this year. Another I give one. You, I would give you pause on that just because he put up record-setting numbers in the SEC and Drew Locke wasn't even a candidate. And wasn't he, it was really difficult. And Kelly Bryant is nowhere near the downfield passer that Drew Locke is. And one year in that system well, isn't all okay. the same. He's losing Emmanuel Hall, but you've never seen Hook, so it's not like you know anything. Um, <laughs> second off, and this is, I can't believe this kid doesn't have numbers listed, Kellen Mond. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's not a Thank bad you. point. He, I mean, well, a, it's a good point. You said good point first. I don't know why you shifted to not a I bad point. I said not a bad point. Well, you said good point first for the record show. Regardless... Just God, I can't wait to this. This uh, cor- corgi is here. So anytime you say something, I'm just gonna hold his face up. And be like, all right, that's a good point, Chris. Good point. Um, he had over 3,100 yards. Yeah. This year. That's I mean, like, and you think about what Travion Williams was able to do in that offense. Kellen Mond going into year two under Jimbo, where he's got a little bit more freedom with the offense, probably a little more trust from his coach, and they do have to play at Clemson, which is gonna be tough. Clemson's and- defense shouldn't be as good. But that's also a big moment for him in a big stage, and they get Bam at home in the same month. So if he's able to have a big September, you know how we love to name September Heismans. This is true. This is so true. he'll lose it by November. But regardless, those first two months are going to be sick, Kellen Mond. I wouldn't be surprised to see Kellen Mond get, get Heisman odds um, yeah. by, the, t- by the, the time the first month of the season's over, maybe going into that, that, that Bama game, which is going to be after the bye week for, for A&M. He does lose yeah. his two biggest weapons, as we talked about <coughs> earlier, in Travion Williams and Jay yeah. Sternberger. But still. Sorry for the call, y'all. 
So uh, last but not least, I'm gonna throw you a bone here because you haven't talked about him once. Okay. This entire damn podcast. Keaton Thompson. Now this is wow. the most short-sighted thing Whoa. I have ever said, and I'm only saying it to be nice. I don't know why I am. I love most it. Most times you bring him up, it's so stupid. But regardless, regardless, Keaton Thompson in the one game he had as a starter, having seven touchdowns. I don't care if it's against an FCS school. Keaton Thompson in year two of Joe Moorhead era. I, I wish I didn't bring this up at all. Let me go back and say Zamir White. Let's close it out. <laughs> let's go to fourth and wrong. Before you say anything about Keaton Thompson, let's skip to Malou to the next That's next fine. topic here. Fourth and wrong is back and in charge here, guys. Um, so we sent out on social media um, not only who what my middle name of my dog is going to be, Queso the Corgi, Corgeron, or Korgovailoa, it's going to be fantastic. Fourth and wrong, um, some of the best non-football-related questions from you guys on social media. First question from DC Carter, 2010. Uh, he's always a fun follow on Twitter, by the way. Or not follow, he follows us. But you know what I'm saying. He's always chimes in with some good stuff. Um, favorite bar story in college? I know you've got a ton of them, bro. Yours is going to top mine, so why don't you just take this one? <sighs> so, favorite, like... I wouldn't say it's my favorite bar story, but, like, one of the best bar stories. We were coming back from a formal in Atlanta, um, some 80 pie thing, and uh, what do you call it? We had, um, I don't even, see, I've got so many. I wish I'd, I, I don't know if this is the best one. Anyway, I remember coming back, and I get a text from my buddies, and he was like, hey, where are you at? Are you coming out tonight? And I was like, yeah, I'm heading back from Atlanta, but I'll probably see you guys like an hour and a half. I'll be out. And I'm like, all right, cool, Ben Roethlisberger's at the Brick. Oh. And then I was like, excuse me, what? And so they send me this, like, grainy picture from, like, some flip phone, because it's 2007, and it's Ben Roethlisberger in the middle of the bar after buying, like, 60 shots for everybody. It was like, what is happening? Why is Ben Roethlisberger there? And that was the infamous night that all that stuff happened. Yeah. Whoa. And I was outside of Capital City. Um, I was outside of Capital City with, uh, why am I, who was the offensive lineman? Willie Colon. And me and my friends, and we're sitting there. I thought I've told you this before. I don't think I'm nope. so surprised. So this part will not surprise you. Um, when you meet a celebrity, a lot of people have the tendency to be in awe of them. This is not a humble brag. This is like you I with Feinbaum. Yeah, exactly. So what ended up happening with me and Willie Cologne, all my friends were like, dude, like, what's, who's the craziest like, like, partier on your team? Who's like the most fun guy on your team? Who's like the toughest defensive end you've had to go up against? All this stuff. Like kind of sucking up to him. I was drunk enough to where I walked up to Willie Cologne in the circle of my friends and roommates, J-Mac and Nate. Shout out to you guys. And I was like, Willie, I'm not going to sit here and suck up to you, for lack of better words, uh, the entire night. I'm pretty sure I could get by you. And then I proceeded to get in a three-point stance and try to swim move Willie Cologne outside of Capital City. Guys, fun fact, I did not get by Willie Cologne. Wow. That did not happen. Uh, and then I went home, and the rest is history. I'll never forget the next day when all this stuff happened. Or maybe it was like the next Monday I went into class. I was in a PR class and my, like, TMZ, everybody had descended on Milledgeville. And they were, like, shelling out money for, like, do you know anything about what happened? And I knew exactly what had happened because one, the girl that the whole incident happened with was very close to one of my roommates. And I remember TMZ texted me or called me and they were like, we'll give you $300 for the story. And I was like, done. And I walked into my PR class and my teacher was like, I'm so proud of all of you because I'm sure you've been approached, for not having the lack of integrity and the journalistic integrity to 
to succumb to those kind of pressures and take the money and do the and, and to have done the right thing. And I was like, yeah, 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 totally, totally. Like, <laughs> so I ended up ended up not giving the story. That was probably one of my my best bar stories from college. Yeah, I was um, right. That was going to beat whatever I was going to say. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Uh, all right, number two. I mean, let's, it's about time I had a win today. Let's say that. Uh, number two. This is from JP Woolley on Instagram. What is the best potato chip? I love kettle cooked barbecue chips. Yes. Money, money in the bank. Can't go Shawty, wrong. Shawty, what that. you drink? Yeah. Okay, so mine is going to be that's a close second because the the consistency and texture of that money on point. Uh, Golden Flake Sweet Heat Barbecue. Ooh, never had them. That's good stuff. I'm just I was really worried you're going to say something stupid like I said earlier about like. Oh, yeah, Lay's came out with this new Ramadan soup and matzo ball flavor. No, it's real bad. Ramadan soup's not a real thing. That's incredibly insensitive. I will say, though, I used to, back in high school, barbecue Lay's, I could eat those, like, by the bag full. I don't. I haven't eaten them, eat them in a long time. They're so second tier. They're, like, third tier, maybe. They're very flimsy. The kettle cook, you got to get it for the, the crunch and all that. Yeah. yeah, definitely. My go-to. It's amazing how far we've come with barbecue chips. Um, <laughs> uh, number three, which, this is from Brett Myers, 0917. Which SEC coach had the worst 10-year challenge photo? Did you do this? No, I, I didn't. And I didn't do it because I had my, my ex, my ex-girlfriend was in my first picture ever. Uh, so I didn't want to like do the thing where out. I crop her out. Yeah, I could have. But yeah, I had braces. And I didn't look very good. What? Yeah, no, I, I, was, I was an ugly high school kid. To, Did you see the you. one I posted from Facebook? Yeah, you've gone what? in a different direction. Man. I was so hot. That's crazy. I, I don't know what happened. I saw the picture and I was like, well, not posting these side by sides. Uh, as soon as I get my hearing back, I'm definitely going to have to get back in the gym, I guess. Good Lord. Anyway, do yourselves a favor. Go check out my Facebook. What's your answer for the uh, SEC coach? You know, my initial reaction was Kirby, but I don't think, I don't think Kirby's, I don't think Kirby's hair has changed in the last 10 years. No. Um, so it's, it, he probably looks exactly the same. I feel like, Maybe at one time, like Chad Morris could have looked Ooh, yeah. not great, and then he's kind of like he's kind of aged well. Like he's not a bad looking guy for middle middle of his age. He's yeah. you know, he stays in good shape. Uh, it, it's got to be somebody like that who has stayed Odom in pretty good shape. Odom's hair. Odom would be funny to look at too because if you if he had hair before then, that would be great. Yeah. Um, but I, I think Chad Morris might be the. He might be the best. I don't know who would be the – maybe Odom would be the worst because Odom just seeing with hair would be so awkward. Um, the Coach O, this is way more than 10 years, but if you look at his – that black and white picture that I post all the time on social media where he's got that weird, creepy smile going, like oh, he yeah. just called boobs on a calculator, mm-hmm. like that's oh, that's a different one for sure. I would say probably probably Barry Odom. Um, okay, number four, uh, Mr. Love, 12792, great name says, what are the top three Disney slash Pixar movies of all time? Of all time? I mean, I think you got to go Toy Story. Toy Story is definitely part of that conversation. This is why I didn't do the follow-up question that he had, which was Disney or Pixar, because I knew you were going to say something stupid like that. What are you going to hate on Toy Story for? I just, I never, I, I, I'm way more of a, I'm a Disney man, more than a Pixar man, just like I'm a Chevy man. No, that's not a real thing. But I mean, I like Disney over, over Pixar, and I don't. I just the first Toy Story was good. I just that wasn't my time, man. That wasn't my generation. All right. Well, you're obviously deprived of fun in your childhood, but anyways, yeah. um, remember the Titans would probably be in there because it is a Disney movie. People forget that. Um, Mighty Ducks is Disney too, isn't it? 
I, that's, I was going to go with animated, but sure, yes. Well, that wasn't part of the criteria. If you're saying so. Mighty Ducks is, the, is, is top three and you're not saying Mighty Ducks 2, I will fight you through this FaceTime. Oh, I like Mighty Ducks 2 better. Okay. Yeah, yeah, No, we Good can answer. agree on that. Um, God, we built this relationship on barbecue chips. It was bound to fall apart on Mighty Ducks. <laughs> um, top three Disney movies for me. This is pretty simple, guys. Lion King is number one. Yeah, Lion King. Yeah, Not I should have thrown question. that in there. You're right. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I don't know, I'm going to say Beauty and the Beast 2. Great soundtrack. First off, Marie, the baguettes, hurry up. Uh, and three, Frozen. Saw it on ice. Don't care how that sounds. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Wish I didn't Frozen that. Let's get great. to the last part here. And this is something that was oh, kind of brought up. One of, one of our good friends um, that I brought up when I saw it last night. And it was just, I've had this thought for a long time. You've seen I it in movies have. nowadays where it's actually been brought up. Uh, it was brought up in Trainwreck. Regardless, one bearded golfer brought this up. Is there a sport you think you could play professionally? No. Not a single one? No. It says a lot about your confidence there, Connor. No, it says a lot about my, my logic and be, no. realizing that if I could play a professional sport, I would be doing it right now. No offense. I love oh, this job. Know. I love what I get to do. But I would That's be rude, playing yeah. a professional sport. I would never leave you guys for professional sport. And I've also seen Hook. So if we ever have you on for an interview and I ask you who your favorite host is, just remember that. Um, regardless, I have zero doubt in my mind. And I don't care if it's out. You, you, I can't believe how stern you are in your dismay for this. But there is zero doubt in my mind I could have played professional baseball in the 20s. And I wasn't even that great of a baseball player. Here's why I have such a stern reaction to it. Because the spitball? You looked at a video of uh, the old footage that came out that went viral yeah, of Babe Ruth hitting batting practice, and you said to yourself, that's the guy who hit 714 home yeah. runs. I have a better swing than him. Therefore, I can play professional baseball. That take is crap. Absolute crap. You don't have the hand-eye coordination to be able to hit something that Connor, was moving in a different way. Butchers. Than could... They were butchers. Walter Big Train Johnson, who was he had the fastest fastball of his time, the reason they called him Big Train Johnson is because he threw harder than anyone else because he threw faster than a moving train. There is an actual documentary called Fastball. You can watch it on Netflix. Do you know how fast he threw? 84 miles an hour. That is high school crap. Okay, so Babe what you were saying... A, he broke a bat in batting practice. The original question was, and by the way, bats are not made now the same way that they were then, so that's neither here nor there. But you said, is there a sport that you can play professionally? What yeah. you are basically saying is, is there a sport that you could go back in time and play oh, yeah, professionally? Oh, yeah, that's Sure, you answer that. No, still no. Still that's no. crazy to me. Do you realize how hard it is to play in the dead ball era where they could put anything on the baseball and they can make it move in ways that nobody could predict? Nobody. Yeah, and having a bunch of white, white, what do you call it, like mediocre athletes that were playing in basically like wool uniforms, I guarantee you I could have played. So are you saying you could play this right now, or are you saying right. like... No, you, no, like t t 10 years ago when okay, I played so, college baseball. And I was not a good college baseball player. And ask anybody that played college baseball. We should, that should be the next question. Do you think you could have played in the 20s? Because I guarantee you I could have. My brother was a D1 baseball player. He's a starting him. first baseman. I don't think he ask could have him. played professional ask baseball. Ask him as soon as we get off the phone here. All right. You keep living in your fantasy land. You keep living in your fantasy land where you watch Babe Ruth okay. film and you think to yourself, I can do that. Very comfortable um, here in my fantasy land. Anyways, let's end with it might mean too much. It is still trolling Bama season. You love this. I know you did. Uh, you so took great sweet. joy in this. Uh, Auburn fans descended 
some at least, descended on Clemson's victory parade two because celebrate. Yeah, well, there's probably more than two. That's Celebrating a Bama loss is just something that you, you can't miss the opportunity to do it. So Auburn fans, uh, I can't remember who originally tweeted this out, but yeah. uh, the, the photo went semi-viral of uh, an Auburn fan holding up the sign that said, Auburn fans here to celebrate Bama beatdown. That's a four-hour drive that Auburn fans made if they're driving from Auburn to Clemson just so that they could celebrate a team that beat Alabama. The, uh, I mean, good for you guys. I mean, it's also the same school. It's Auburn with a lake. Um, one of them just wins championships more. Now, like, to be fair, I pull, I was a pretty big Oregon Ducks fan uh, in 2010. I was a pretty big Florida State fan in 2013. I wouldn't have drove to a parade. Parades are stupid in the first place. Well, you just go stand there. People have a tendency to get, you know, I'm not going to bring up JFK. Way too soon. Way too soon. That was like 57 years ago. Come on. Come on. Tell you what, could have been president in the 60s. Guaranteed, dude. Whole another argument. No, that's where we took it too far. Well, yep. let's, end it, let's end it with the five-star reviews. Go ahead. We've got four or five-star reviews to get to today. The first one is from Steve Sergany. Sergany? Okay. Sure. Uh, subject, awesomeness. This is a great podcast. Hopefully, I'm catching it at the tail end of the Alabama dynasty. Go Gators. Love that. I mean, this was a really good episode until I went off the deep end with that, that <laughs> taking forth and wrong. Other than that, it's been really fun, though. Uh, this is from, it's called Greatness. We have an awesomeness and a greatness like that by a Gator fan. Even though y'all hate on my boy, Felipe Franks, y'all still the number one podcast I've ever listened to. I appreciate that. I also am going to throw this out there real quick because I'm not good enough to not do it. My man, who's defending Felipe Frank, spelled his name wrong. I know. I, know. I love you for this, though, a Gator fan. I appreciate the very kind five-star view. You the man. This isn't uh, a spelling contest. By the way, fair. spelling contest, um, Tom Hart, his tweet thread on Friday, our good friend Tom Hart, SEC Network announcer, yeah. tweet, he live-tweeted a fifth-grade spelling bee, and it was what? unbelievable. It made my Friday morning so much better. Um, go, uh, go follow Tom Hart. It's pretty awesome. By the way, these next two... Quick shout-out, because I should have done it way earlier. We're recording this January 15th. These two five-star reviews were left on January 14th, which happened to be Pastor Patty Sue's birthday. Yes. And it's, so I texted Connor. I was like, it's Pastor Patty Sue's birthday. Act accordingly. And he was like, all the mimosas. I told her that. First response, <laughs> she goes, ooh, I should have her bosa. And she also there we go. just tweeted at me from one of her burner accounts, I'm assuming. But I do want to say thank you to anybody that reached out. There's a couple people that... They were like, happy birthday, Pastor Patty Sue, on social media. She loved it. I loved it. Really appreciate it. Go ahead. This, uh, this was from uh, Ryan Rogers 93 subject, this, yeah. Subject, Chris Pick Clemson, period. Uh, Chris Pick Clemson to win the natty, showing how, just how objective he is, even as an Alabama fan. However, Chris can be forgiven because of his hair. Chris has good hair. Connor, on the other hand, has hypermetric stats. Connor definitely brings the collective gambling picks back down to around 50%. This review is brought to you by Texas Pete Hot Sauce and Bud Light. Thank you. I Shout love this sponsors. dude. He watches every Facebook Live, and I always wear this, the hat usually, like the SDS hat. First thing he always says, I'm like, how is everyone? Welcome back to Happy Hour. And he's like, great hair, Chris. Great hair. Um, last but not least, from Schuler 82 subject line, Hillary Swank, not hot. Well, the season is over, but I still look forward to the podcast, and I'm sure it'll help get us all through the offseason. Nice, the office Hillary Swank reference, by the way. If you want to get to heaven to walk the streets of gold, you got to know the password is Go Dogs Go. Ooh! Took me through a loop on that last one. I'll tell you what, the best part about recording this today, on Tuesday at 3 o'clock, is that as soon as we get done here, we'll still go back to work 
and stuff, but The Office is on for the next six hours on Comedy Central. So It's also on whenever you want on Netflix. It's not as cool. Not as yeah. cool. That's but no, true. thank you everyone for the five star reviews. That was awesome. It was a good episode. Thank you. It was. I thought we, we hit a lot of stuff. Hit a lot yeah. of stuff. It was really good. Nothing uh, what's to be states? That's probably right. <laughs> what's what's your next Facebook Live? Monday night. Monday night still. We're we're sticking with that schedule. We're we're in a little bit of a tentative schedule for what we're doing yeah. this week. We're still trying to figure out if we're going to be doing two a week, one a week. What what all that's going to look like? We'll tweet it out from from the account. Follow. Uh, SDS Podcast on Twitter at the SDS Pod. Follow you on Twitter at C SDS. Follow me on Twitter at CJ O'Gara. Follow us on Instagram. Again, as I said, we're 24 7, 365. This is what we do. The offseason does not stop for us. This is what we do. Right. So until next time, I'm going to, by the way, we're going to bring Coach O on next time, I think. I think I'm going to have a good Coach O rant for you. I think oh, we're going to okay. get to that next okay. week. Um, cool. I'm hungry, dude. I think I might go to go pick up some fast food at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. We didn't even discuss it once. We'll discuss it next time. Thank you so much, guys. You have a great night. Connor, you you take it away this time. What do we always say? It might mean too much. Talk to you guys later.